Hello, my amazing friends. Thank you so much for joining me on this very special episode of the Citrus and Sun podcast. Thank you so much for being here today. I am so excited about this week's episode and our guest today, Allie Ray Pesta. I wanted to come on here before we jump into the episode just to give you an introduction to what we'll be talking about today and to tell you more about Allie. I was so lucky to connect with Allie over social media and I'm so grateful to have had this opportunity to sit down and have this conversation with her and I'm really excited to share it with all of you. Allie is a published author, a yoga teacher, She's a public speaker and a body empowerment coach. She recently published a memoir called Beyond My Body, Recovering from a Complex Eating Disorder, Reclaiming Movement, and Finding My Worth. This book has already created a space for so many readers to connect with Allie's words and to learn from her story and share their own struggles with mental illness, eating disorders, and body dysmorphia. I want to give a content warning um, before we start this episode that this conversation does include discussions about eating disorders and body dysmorphia and some content could be sensitive to some listeners. If this episode does not support you at this time, that is completely okay. Please just take care of yourself and also remember how special and important you are to this world. Never forget that. I am really excited to get into this episode and I hope that you enjoy this conversation with Allie. friends. Thank you for joining me on this week's episode of the Citrus and Sun podcast. Um, I am here with a very special person today who I am so grateful to have connected with and uh, to have on the podcast today talking about her new book called Beyond My Body, Recovering from a Complex Eating Disorder, Reclaiming Movement and Finding My Worth. I am talking with Allie Pesta today. Hi, Allie. (laughs) Hi, I am so excited to be here. It's truly an honor. Thank you so much for being here. I So I started following Allie on TikTok, and I remember the first video that I saw of yours, you came across my feed, and it was your unboxing video of your book. And mm. I just remember, like, I was captivated right away because I just feel like it's so exciting when someone creates something first of all so I'm like what did this what did what is this book that this girl like wrote I need to see this and she's so excited and and then when you started talking about it and just seeing your excitement and I just wanted to know more about about your journey and so then I started watching your other videos and I swear every time your videos come on my feed it's like this pep talk that I need from mm-hmm like a friend who I feel like I've known you for so long. So thank you for being that light (laughs) on my 
my feed and I'm so glad to be like actually talking to you today. This is so cool. <laughs> oh, you are so kind. I feel so similar when I came across yours and I was like, wait, it's just so much enlightenment and positivity and light and not like a toxic positivity, but just like this realistic, authentic voice. So that means the world Thank to me. You. TikTok is like not my thing. So I am like, sometimes I'll just like, I'm just going to put this up there. And yeah. it's so cool that that you felt that. And um, I think it's really, I think it just goes to show that you never know when you share where someone's going to be impacted or how they're going to be impacted. And it truly just emphasizes how important it is that even if it impacts one person, that's so much more important than like a video going viral. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we get so caught up in that image versus, oh my gosh, someone that is across the country saw your video and you feel connected and like you have known them forever. So yes. just a really cool experience. Yes, it is truly unbelievable. And I, I completely agree with what you said. And even like, think about if, 20 people watched your video, a room of 20 people. I mean, that's a lot of people just hearing your message. And, and of course, you've reached so many, so many more people than that. But um, I, can you talk a little bit about just yourself and just the journey that led up to writing this incredible memoir? Because it is, wait, I need to keep talking because I, <laughs> I, so Allie sent me her book before it came out on World Mental Health Day and she sent it to me so I could read it before. And I literally read half the book in one night. I could not put it down. It was, it's so good and it's so captivating and so well-written. And again, it feels like a friend is talking to you. So I just, I'm so excited to hear more about what led you to, to write this. So now go ahead. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah. That means the world. It's been wild hearing from people. It's a similar sentiment of, man, I feel like once I started, I like couldn't put it down. Yes. And it's so cool to hear that. Um, so I say a little bit about myself, um, born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio, Went to Ohio State, then traveled to Seattle, then down to Denver. Um, and it's just been such a wild journey since, you know, all of the things. And I say the core of who I am is empowerment. And if I am empowering people, empowering myself, and I'm making people feel seen and heard in an authentic way, then I'm living my most authentic and truest life. And that comes to fruition for me right now as a published author and a yoga teacher and a recovery coach um, and a speaker and what I do for like my day job at Zillow. But all in all to say, I think through it all that common theme is empowerment and that I love to say, like when we think about who are we, I think often we automatically say, well, I'm this, like I'm these titles. But those titles are fleeting. They can go away at any given time. And I think who we are is like our essence and the core of who we are. And so when I get asked, like, who are you? Yes, I talk about those things. But for me, it's like, I'm a girl who loves to build community and make people feel seen and heard. And in whatever way that comes to life, that's amazing. But that is kind of the core of, of who I am. Um, and to talk a bit about my journey and what kind of led me to writing this book. So writing has always been a way for me to process my mind. And I always had an anxious mind growing up, like super spinning thoughts always in the head. It's like my mind would never shut up. 
And writing was the one time that my mind just felt quiet. Like, because your mind physically, you know, writing, you can't write as fast as your mind is going. So it actually slows down your brain. And for me, I also understood the world through stories ever since I was five. And so I always said, one day I want to write a book. I had no idea what I wanted to write it about. Um, And fast forward to 17, that's when I was diagnosed with my eating disorder. Um, And I was in the hospital and my sister was like, you haven't written in so long and I think you should start writing again. And I had written for months because I had no thoughts to write about because my mind was so anxious growing up. That was definitely one key part of the eating disorder was emptiness. And I thought that the silence in my brain was finally like me controlling and it was a good thing. But I realized that I lost all of my thoughts. Like it wasn't, it wasn't a good emptiness. It was a completely like had no thoughts to even think. And so my sister got me this journal and I just started writing. And one of my first journal entries was one day I'm going to write a book about this. And for me, it goes back to what I talked about before. It's that empowerment piece because I knew that I was not the only person that didn't feel enough or that felt too much or felt not normal in their body or, you know, wanted to feel some sense of control or wanted to just be seen and heard. And yes, for me, all of those things kind of came together to mold into an eating disorder. But I think we all at some point are challenged by body image and body dysmorphia and all of those things. So um, I knew that I wasn't alone in that. And so, yes, it took me over 10 years to actually write the book, but it's been wild to see just people like the thoughts and the feelings of, oh my gosh, it's like you were saying words in my mind that I was too afraid to say out loud. And I'm like, wow, like I did not expect that. Um, I wrote it mostly, you know, for people to hopefully feel seen and heard. Um, And I also wrote it for my 17 year old self to tell her words that she never really got to hear. Yeah, that's beautiful. I think it's incredible when you can take something that was a struggle and turn it into this opportunity to help other people. And almost build this community. I think that it's so easy to feel alone in our thoughts, like you said, and I think it's beautiful that when people read your book, they were hearing their own thoughts in you. And I I can definitely um, relate to that too, because although I, I've not struggled with an eating disorder per se, it's I related to the anxiety part of it. So a lot of the things you talked about in your book, I, I I felt like it was me. Like I could hear a lot of myself in things that you said. So I think it's it's just amazing that you took this and this vulnerable piece of your life and you turned it into this way of, of connecting with others and building this community and allowing others to be seen. So thank you <laughs> for doing and, that. <laughs> yeah, thank you for sharing that. And I think that's what it's all about, right? I think because mental health and mental illness is so invisible Mm -hmm. that it's really hard to build empathy unless we speak up. Whether that's speaking up through written word or spoken word, I think there's just so much power when we actually share. 
And I think it's at times the only way that we can actually build community because no one can see your mind. Mm -hmm. um, I think of it often, I posted before, and it's something that always comes to mind. I recently had hip surgery. And when I was on crutches, everyone would, I'd go to the gym when I was doing rehab and they'd be like, oh my gosh, take my bench. Oh, are you okay? And it was so wild that when I was at the depth of my eating disorder, I was praised for this body mm -hmm. that I was so sick in. And my mind was so unwell, but no one could see how unwell my mind was. But physically on the outside, I fit society's ideal of what the goal body was. Mm -hmm. And so I was praised for an illness and a disorder versus when I have a physical thing, when we have physical things, we get this level of like compassion and sometimes pity. And I'm not saying that we should be pitying people when we open up about mental illness. But I do think that there's just so much beauty in when we share. And it's a huge reason of why I share and why I share so authentically, because I do think it's the only way that we can actually humanize mental illness and that we can break the stigma. Because if we just stay in our own thoughts and stay in our own mind, no one will ever know. Mm -hmm. And we won't be able to build that community and that humanization of it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In, in your book, you talked about um, these myths we tell ourselves. And, and I think a lot of that is what you're talking about with this self-talk we have in our brains and how we, we struggle inside. Um, and a lot of us have the same thoughts, I, I think. And one of, the one that you wrote in your book was average is unacceptable. And then I, I loved how you had the branches that came off of that and there were so many things that you so many of these branches that I've also said to myself again <laughs> I just identified with it so much like you wrote if I'm not exceptional I'm not worthy you wrote if I don't put action behind my dreams I'm merely taking up space and I, I guess I'm I feel like a lot of us have those thoughts and how did those I feel it. Were those the beginnings of this self-talk that you had? Were those the beginnings of of this experience that you had? Like, were how did these fuel that voice that you spoke about inside? Yeah. Oh, over? I love that you you touched on those, and I think that's such an important piece that you know when we think about roots of different illnesses or where we've been or roots of just our stories. Um, for me, yes, that was a huge part of it. And I will have to say, I think it's also something that it's still a huge part of me. Mm -hmm. um, it's something I'm having to constantly reclaim on an everyday basis. It just looks a bit different. But to go back to what you were saying, I can think back to even when I was two years old. Um, I have a pretty vivid memory and I was I swam for the first time without floaties at two in my neighbor's pool. And people were like, oh my God, this girl's nuts. She's two years old swimming. <laughs> and it's like these messages, even when I was five, I had teachers be like, wow, you're so talented. You're going to be famous one day. Oh my gosh, I love to sing and act. Or like, remember me when you're in Hollywood. Mm. Oh, you like, you know, would I would write, they asked us to write an about me page that was one page. And I decided to write 24 pages. So it's an internal thing that I think I was just naturally born with this drive to just be incredible. Mm -hmm. um, and then it was reinforced by all of these messages of like, wow, you're so incredible. 
keep doing these things, keep doing these things. And it just turned into this belief that like, truly, if I am not exceptional, if I, as shitty as it sounds, if I don't make an ROI, like a return on investment of my human experience, Mm -hmm. I am not worth anything in this world. Like I need to make an impact to be meaningful. And that led to so much of the eating disorder. And I think why it it took me so long to recover um, because I just received all of these praises. Like when I would go to the gym, there's a chapter in a book called Praises from the Gym. Mm -hmm. And I go to the gym and I'd work out for countless hours and people would be like, oh my gosh, you're the hardest worker in the room. I wish I had drive like you. Mm -hmm. I wish I had the discipline, the dedication, you're exceptional. And so this thing that was killing me, literally killing me, was getting praised to the nth degree. And so in my mind, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm finally exceptional. I'm at the place that I've craved to be the past 17 years of my life. Why would I ever want to give this up? Right. Why would I ever want to change the way I'm living? If the whole world is telling me you're incredible, then of course I'm going to keep doing these things. And so I think the past... 10 years and again, still something I work on on an everyday basis because I just really want to emphasize, you know, we're still human. Like just because I wrote a book doesn't mean like, okay, it's done. The healing process is done. It's like, we're still here. And I think what I have to constantly come back to is what is my just truest worth? And that is not exceptional, like as simple as it is and something that I have to continue to remind myself is like, we are human beings, not human doings. Mm -hmm. And I have to ground myself in that all the time. And it also, I think the biggest shift for me was really unpacking this idea of icing and that we have all these things that define us. And I was talking about the titles or the praises and that is our icing. So when someone's like, who are you? What do you like about yourself? We typically name our icing. Mm-hmm. And if all of that is scraped away, who are you? Mm-hmm. Like what makes you worthy? And that's what I love to call your cake. Mm-hmm. And for that. me, yeah, I had to really just reground myself and like, what is my cake? And I know that my cake truly is like my laughter, my ability to build community, my ability to make people feel seen and heard, my ability to just like walk into a room and to some degree, feel like people feel loved and light. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it was a lot of unraveling of all of these messages and then just continuing to come back to like, this is who I am. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's so easy to to place our worth. You talked about in the book about placing it on outside factors and outside things. Um like the way your clothes fit and the numbers on the scale or just numbers in general. I mean, or like you said, the space, the amount of space you take up. I, in in different ways, I think it's, we live in a society where we're placing our worth on outside things. And it is, I love your, the analogy on the cake because that's such a good visual uh, to, to think of with that and all of, I mean, I don't know. It is, it's so easy to place our worth on the outside things. Totally. And I mean, it makes sense. It's like, it's that principle and reminder that like you and your body or the outside things, like that's, it's not a problem. The problem is 
society. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, the culture that we live in is just so diet culture informed and so there's so much weight stigma and there's so much emphasis on judging someone's health and even their worth, like their principles and their values based off of what you see. Like if you see someone on the street and they look fit or in shape, and I'm using air quotes for that, you're like, wow, they must be really determined. They must be really driven. They must be doing all those things, but they're likely the person next to them could be doing the exact same things, have the same amount of drive, but look completely different Mm -hmm. and be in a larger size body. And you're going to instantly say, oh my gosh, they are lazy. They are this, like our worth, we wrap it up so much. And our morality as human beings of like, you eat this food, you're good. You do this workout, you're good. You eat this food, you're bad. You do this, you don't work out, you're bad. And it's just so, pardon my language, fucked up. Yeah. But we are in this society that we just put so much emphasis Mm -hmm. on external. And so one of my favorite questions to like continue to rewrite this is how is your heart? Like, how are you doing? And like, how do you actually feel rather than like, I think it's easy to just be like, oh, how you doing? Or you look great. And it's like, Mm -hmm. okay, but like, how do you feel? You could look great, but you could be miserable. Right. And just asking people truly like, how are you doing as a soul of a human being, mm-hmm. not what the world might perceive you as? Yeah. And I can feel the difference when people do ask me th- those questions. It's almost like this emotion comes up in me when so- just by someone saying the word feel instead of like, just how are you? A simple, like, how are you feeling? I love that. How's your heart feeling? It's, and it doesn't sound natural, but I think we need to start doing it. <laughs> like, I really do, because I think that people would, definitely start to open up more too um, yeah just by being asked those questions um you also talked a lot about comparison in in your book and I think that it's comparison is such a natural part I think of being a human I think we all just naturally compare ourselves a lot um I think when it's what we do with that thought when it comes right and Mm -hmm how do we stop it? Like how I, can you talk a little bit about your struggle with comparison? And I know that there was a lot, uh, with your, with your journey and that fueled a lot too of that eating disorder. Totally. Yeah. I think especially, I mean, I think it happens with men too, but I Mm -hmm. think especially as females, um, unfortunately, like in a patriarchal society, we are really bought in to believe the scarcity mindset of only one person can win, only one person can be good enough, only one woman can get that role, that leadership role, only one woman can get X. And again, it does extend to like humans in general, but I think because of that, when we think, oh my gosh, it's only one or the other, it just fuels this. If if this person's doing great, then I can't be great. Mm -hmm. Or if this person is getting X thing, then I can't get that. And so I think one piece to touch on here is just that shift of a mindset from a scarcity mindset to an abundance mindset Um, and recognizing that there is so much space. There are so many freaking people in this world. I think going back to one of our initial parts about, you know, if you even impact one person or 20 people, whatever that looks like, like that is an abundance mindset of knowing you are not for everyone and that's okay. Mm -hmm. And 
this person might resonate over here, but guess what? You're going to resonate over here. And that is just a shift that I think we really need to continue to come back to. And I think for me, um, I think comparison does come from when we are, it comes from insecurity and it comes from a lack of self-love and a lack of self-worth. And what's really shifted the comparison for me, especially when I'd say like about my body or about food or about movement is really getting in tune with who I am. Like this concept of embodiment, like truly like getting into my body on an everyday basis, getting still enough where I can just get, feel my breath moving in through my body and then asking myself like, what do I need? Not what does Steph need? Not what does someone else need? How can I be like them? But what do I need today? and knowing that that's the answer. And I think there's a step further of, okay, you can ask, but then actually going and honoring that. I think challenging ourselves, like say, for example, you're in a yoga class and rather than whenever I teach, I'm like, what do you need? Don't look at the person next to you. If I say tree pose and you're like, I don't wanna do tree pose, great, don't do tree pose. That is honoring yourself and honoring what you need. And that stiffs us out of that place of comparison because we are just getting so in tune with who am I, what do I need? And then that gives space and freedom for others to be like, okay, cool. Ali's doing her thing. Steph's doing her thing. Cool. I can go do my thing too. I don't feel like I need to play this, like keeping up with this Joe, keeping up with the Joneses mindset. Yeah. There's enough space for everyone. And exactly. And like what you said, what one person might have to bring to the table, it could be completely different from another person, even though you're doing the same things. And there just is enough space. I love that abundant abundance mindset that you mentioned because um, there is enough space for everyone. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. And I think it even goes to like you, each individual has such a unique light. Yes. And you are doing not only yourself a disservice, but the world a disservice when you try to mold yourself into being someone else and not being your true self. Mm -hmm. Because I think, I mean, only you're, you're the only one who's the expert of your life. You're the only one who can tell your story. You're the only one who can share your thoughts. No one else can do that for you. And there's so much beauty and power when you stand in your authentic truth, because then it does give space. Like I'm not like my best friend, we're completely different, but there's so much beauty in that rather than us being like, oh, I'm going to try to conform myself to be like her rather than I'm going to stand into who I am and then celebrating each other for their own uniqueness. Yes. Yeah. And being inspired by each other too. I think that when you can find inspiration in what other people are doing and appreciate that, it's, it can be really beautiful. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. Um, So speaking of yoga, because I know that you are a big yogi, (laughs) and um, from reading your book, I had the same thoughts of yoga as you did when (laughs) I first started yoga, and those thoughts were like, this is not exercise, this is not doing anything for my body, I'm not bored, but a little bit, just because I just wasn't moving as much as I used to with like my normal cardio workout, right? So I know that yoga was a, was a really big part of your treatment too. Um, and there was a lot of mindfulness that went into 
that healing and being in tune with your body. So I was just wondering if you would talk a little bit about that because I think um, that is is such a great place to start. And even just talking about um, comparison and how you were talking about with yoga, listening to your body. I think yoga is such a great practice with uh, learning how to listen to our body and what our bodies need. So yeah, can you talk a little bit about that? <laughs> yes. So for me, like you said, I hated yoga when I first started. I was like, this is the stupidest thing ever. <laughs> I This teacher's telling me how to breathe. I'm 18 years old. I know how to breathe. What What's going on here? Yeah. And it was so foreign to me because I was asked to actually tune into my breath and I was asked to like tune into my thoughts and I was asked to tune into my body. And for me before that, like, yes, running was mindful, but for the most part, exercise was a way to escape. It was a way to kind of leave my body rather than to tune into my body. Mm -hmm. And I used movement as a way to just not be with my thoughts and not be with my mind. And so being asked to like actually tune into like, how are you feeling? I don't think I had once asked myself, how am I feeling? I was just like, rogue, 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 on a rat race, going on the hamster wheel, doing all the things. And so it was really, really uncomfortable. And there was a lot of resistance when I first started doing yoga. Mm -hmm. I came back to my mat over and over because it was all I was allowed to do. And I'm so glad it was all I was allowed to do because it completely shifted the way I think about movement, the way I think about yoga, the way I think about how we get in tune with our body and how movement can be a way to tune in, not to tune out. Mm -hmm. And I use the word movement because I do think back to like when we were kids, like we ran for the sake of running. We just moved our bodies and exercise, I think, has a lot of loaded connotation of it has to be like extreme and fitness and blah, 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 versus like movement is like, movement could be dancing in your kitchen. It could be practicing yoga. It could be breathing. Like it could be whatever you want it to be. And that's movement. And so for me with yoga, the more and more I started to tune in and the more and more I started to like actually stay on my mat, I learned so much about how to, for the first time, speak to my body in a kind and loving way. And for the first time, I was asked to just be with my body mm -hmm. and to tell her she's enough and to tell her she's loved and that she's worthy and she doesn't have to go do these crazy things to be worthy, that she could just sit and be and breathe. And that was such a shift for me. Mm -hmm. And I think the way I think about movement as a, it's being life-giving, not life-taking. And all the principles I use and learned in yoga, I feel like I relate to all the other movement modalities. And when I teach yoga, I teach through that lens of like, how can you tune in? I know we're in a world of constant tuning out, whether that be tuning out through our phones or through screens or through distraction, but how can you give yourself this time to truly tune in mm -hmm. and get to that place of embodiment? Like you're anxious. Where does that anxiety land in you? Okay. You're don't want it. You have fear. Where, where do you feel the fear and how can you breathe through that? How can you stay in the fear and how can you then move through that through breath, not through escaping, but through staying in your body. So I think there's just so much beauty in yoga 
that we can then go and take and take all the lessons we learn on the mat and transition them to life off the mat. Yeah. And it's truly a practice too. It's all yes. the things that you just said. It's, it's, you have to continue to practice those things every day. Um, and yeah. I do truly feel like it does transfer into other parts of your life. Uh, I never thought that it could. I just had no idea <laughs> yep. the power of yoga. Um, I loved a quote. I wrote it down um, from that chapter of your book. You said, it feels strange to be in tune with every moving part of my body. I have been at war with my body for so long. And I just thought that that was so powerful and it felt like a shift that you made um, and like that you began to just love your body more. I just felt it through that, that mm. quote. So I loved that. <laughs> yeah. And I think what even started through that is like radical acceptance yes. of my body and that body neutrality of just being like, this is my body. And like, I love to tell myself all the time. And one of my main mantras is like, my body and I were on the same team. Mm -hmm. Like we're not against each other. Like we're not at war. And if I continue to treat my body as if we're at war, I'm continuing to move further away from who I am. Like mm -hmm. me and my body were together. We're one. She is me. I am her. Mm -hmm. And we're not separated. And yoga was that first place that I felt like, oh, whoa, my body isn't against me. My body is for me. Mm -hmm. And how can I then care for her as if we are on the same team because we are? Wow, I love that. And I think yoga helps us see all that our bodies can do for us. Um, it's it's really incredible when we think about our bodies and what they do for us every day. And I think taking that moment and that space to practice gratitude and um, self-love with our bodies, I think that that can be really life-changing in, in helping with that either comparison or that just war within yourself of um, what you're struggling with. So, totally. Yeah, I love that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, I, I, um, I feel like you do so many amazing yoga events too. I know you're so big on community and um, I just think it's really cool that you're just connecting all of this together and providing this space for people to come and even just discover yoga, right? Because it can be a little intimidating sometimes uh, to get into it. Totally, mm -hmm. yeah. I I teach in what I like to call like non-conventional spaces. Yeah. Um, I think conventional space people automatically just assume a yoga studio, but yoga can be practiced anywhere. Right. Um, I used to teach yoga when I was in Cleveland in like juvenile delinquent centers, and I would teach at breweries and parks, and I think yoga can be intimidating. Um, I felt it firsthand and I want to create a space where someone like, it's my favorite thing when someone after class is like, I've never done yoga before. And I thought I would hate it, mm -hmm. but I actually love it. Like yeah. this is so foreign to me, but I love it. And I think there's just so much power in community. There's yes. so much power for someone to also be like, oh, cool, this person's moving their body in this way. And it gives someone else that permission mm -hmm. to just feel safe, to feel seen, to feel heard. And I just think like we are, go back to even just how we were born and lived, like 
we're meant to exist in community. We're not meant to live this life alone. And I think unfortunately when we are in the depth, I can speak for myself, like depth of my illness, it was just filled with so much isolation. Mm -hmm. And that only fueled the illness more rather than coming in community and being like, yo, I got you. Maybe I didn't experience it exactly as you did, but I still understand this piece, or maybe I don't understand it all, but I'm here to listen. I'm here to see you. I'm here to be with you. And I think that that's the power of people coming together. And it's just, it can create ripple effects. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And if there ever is a hard day, because I think healing is not linear. And I know you touched on that earlier in our conversation. Um, and I think that's just such a big point to come back to is that we're, we're going to have hard days. And I, I know me personally, I get so hard on, I, I'm very hard on myself if I do have a hard day sometimes, because then I get in my head and say, well, I've done all this work and why am I having this, this difficult day? And I always have to bring myself back to that, like that it's okay if I have a hard day, we have to be okay with that. Um, so I think it's good to have people to talk to when we are having tough days <laughs> to, to validate that it's okay. <laughs> totally. Like life is so nonlinear, even yeah. just the human experience, the healing experience, but just even the human experience is yeah. so nonlinear. And I think there's just this false sense of, oh, this arriving of we're going to just magically arrive to this place and all of our worries will go away. And we don't ever arrive. Like we are in just a constant state of being and a constant state of just evolving and learning. And with that comes a lot of pain and hard days. And we're probably going to learn the same lesson over and over but it just is going to come to fruition in different ways. Like we talked about earlier of this feeling of needing to be exceptional. I'm feeling that way now a lot, but it's just in a different way with the book and with sharing and all of that. And I, I just love what you said of reminding yourself, like, it's okay to have a hard day. Like it is so okay not to be okay. And if we don't let ourselves feel that, if we don't allow ourselves to have bad days, bad moments, bad weeks, then we're literally just going to keep living in a state of numbness, yeah. in a state of tuning out. We have to feel the low points in order to feel the highs and everything in between. And when we feel those lows, it's so easy to get stuck, but then you grasp onto, I know that there's a light that I can also feel this high, but you can't actually feel that high unless you feel the lows. Yeah. You need that to appreciate the highs, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I'm thinking of a part in your book of when you were in treatment, and I think it was maybe one of your in, in, inpatient therapists, and they said something to you, like you were talking to them about how you felt like you were doing great, and you were, and I think this was more along the lines of you talking about you wanted to be really good at the recovery, right? This recovery yep. process, and you're like, I'm doing great. I think I'm going to be out of here soon. And And I remember they said something like, or you, you said something like she allowed me to finally be messy and that it's 
not it's okay to not be okay like she gave you space to not be okay like she kind of called you out on that a little bit um I don't I that just what you were talking about reminded me of that moment in your book and I just really loved that <laughs> yes yeah so that was my my therapist at my I went to a PHP partial hospitalization program yeah. uh, my freshman year of college and it was the first time that I said I needed help um and but I went in being like, I got this. I'm going to beat this. It's going to be great. And yeah. really, I think because the past 18 years leading up to that, I lived in this state of a mask. I love my mom, but she's definitely someone she's now, she has grown so much in this of like, you can't fix it. It's okay not to be okay. But I grew up in this place of like, I made a joke up, but like, if you're not happy all the time, like, mm -hmm you're doing something wrong. Mm -hmm. And I never I was never given permission to feel my feelings. Mm -hmm. Like I had so many feelings as a kid. I was just a very expressive person and I didn't know how to feel them. And so I just masked them and just always put on this, what I call my happy mask. Yeah. And I thought that I had to do that same thing in recovery of, okay, I got to be the best one. I got to be the strong one. I got to give advice to all the other people recovering, like try to be a therapist. And I'm like, <laughs> my therapist was looked at me and was like, hey, how, like, she's like, how's recovery going? And I was like, it's good. She's like, honestly, I'm going to be, she was also the first person that realized, like made me realize I need tough love a lot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't need someone to just continue on that state of the happy mask, but to really call me out on my BS. And she did that. <laughs> and she was like, yeah, um, you don't have to be the best at recovery. Yeah. She's like, if you don't actually start letting yourself open up and be messy and feel the things, you're never going to heal. Yeah. And that next day, that next, I don't know, all parts of recovery, I just remember sitting there and I was silent and I just let myself ball and cry and what was so cool about that treatment center that I loved is if you were crying, no one handed you a tissue. You could get up and go get a tissue, but no one handed you a tissue because it was permission to feel your feelings. Mm -hmm. By giving someone a tissue, it's pretty much saying like, oh my gosh, don't cry. You shouldn't be feeling this crying. And it's just this whole radical shift of it's okay to cry. It's okay to sob. If you need a tissue, go grab one but don't feel like you can't cry, that you have to cover it up. So I loved that piece. And I feel like that was such a turning point for me to be like, damn, I can finally be messy. I can finally let myself feel all the lows and all the highs and just show up as a human. Yeah. Wow. That's such a shift in perspective. I never thought of it that way. And, and sometimes we do need that a little bit. I agree. Um, you also talk, there's this reoccurring theme of space in your book too. And um, I, I loved how you continued to bring that up in different ways. Can you talk just a little bit about what, what that theme meant to you, that taking up space or not taking up enough space or trying not to take up space? <laughs> yep. So I grew up like loud, wild, loudest person in the room, like wanted to always be the leader. But at the same time, I feel like I constantly got messages of like, Allison's great in school, but you know, she should maybe like tone it down a bit or 
um, I, you know, was class president. It was like, okay, but you're too bossy. You're too much. You take up too much space. I always also felt not normal in my body. Mm. I matured really early. Um, I had double D booze by the time I was in seventh grade. Like I just felt like my body took up too much space Mm -hmm. and that as a young girl, you were supposed to be meek and mild. And my sister was like very quiet and very, very introverted to the point where she was like afraid to talk to people. So I would talk for her. Um, and, but in my eyes, I always looked up to my sister. I was like, why can't I be like that? Why can't I be quiet and fit in? And I always felt like I fit, I didn't fit in because I took up too much space. And the amount of times growing up that I was told, please use your inside voice, that you're just way too loud. And if someone ever tells me to use my inside voice, I get so pissed now. (laughs) I'm like, no, I'm a scream. I'm sorry, but I'm going to scream. And it's just this reclamation that again similar to that it's okay not to be okay the healing it's a lesson i have to learn over and over that we as human beings deserve to take up space we deserve to let our voices be heard and if you don't have a lot of voice who cares that's not the point but just how you exist as a human being authentic messy whatever you deserve to take up space and i think two of my biggest lessons there is looking at nature mm-hmm. to remind you to take up space the mountains and water um i have a tattoo of them because they are just so healing and cathartic for me the mountain is just vast and expansive and her peaks just grow and continue to evolve and she continues to evolve but she never apologizes for taking up space mm-hmm. she has boulders and peaks and she's like come climb me not shrink me And similarly, the ocean is just so vast and has so much depth. And when you look out at the water and you can't even see the other side and there's that unknown and how much space she takes up and that high tides and the low tides and the way she moves through the world, I think there's just so much beauty in the way that nature shows us, hey, it's okay to take up space, be vast like the ocean, climb peaks like the mountains and just exist as you are never apologize for the space that you take up. And so those are the lessons I continue to come back to, but it's definitely um, something that it's not easy. It's not easy to take up space, but the more and more that you get in tune with who you are and let go of that comparison, pulling all these threads together, it gives you just that like freedom to take up space. Yeah. You're like speaking my language with this nature talk and like giving me chills. I love that. Oh my goodness. I need a recording of that. Well, I do have a recording of it. <laughs> I'll listen to it over and over again. I love that so, so much. And I, I think that we can, again, like you said, take up space in a lot of ways and going back to that that therapist that helped you take up space with your feelings, like take up space with your feelings and feel them and and be you and and be authentic because yeah that's that's the way that people are going to get to know you and you're going to inspire others too. I think that's like yep. true to that getting to that authentic self. So I yep. love that. <laughs> exactly. I love exactly. That. I love it. Well, this has been amazing <laughs> chatting with you. Um, is there anything else that that you wanted to share with us or any you know final thoughts <laughs> mm, oh this has just been so 
so healing and so fun and just you bring so much authentic light and just space to this world so i'm just so grateful to have met you and to be connected with you um i will i will touch on two things one i have a a group program coming up starting in like end of february um that's going to be about a lot of the things that we just talked about Mm -hmm. about body image and freedom and food and movement and understanding your cake and social media and comparison. And it's going to be amazing. So it's a 10 week program. Um, we're going to bring, I'll be bringing in guest coaches. Um, it's going to be so cool. So if people are listening to this and you're interested, definitely let me know. And I also am leading a retreat next fall, which will be so cool best four days of your life. We're going to have a in-house chef, community meals, pretty much as much as possible, foam-free, hiking in the beautiful mountains, learning from her peaks, yoga, (laughs) workshops, journaling, community with incredible women. So um, also if that's something you're interested in, definitely, definitely let me know. Um, And feel free, my Instagram is at Allie Ray Pesta. So that's probably the best way to connect and learn about all the things but this was such a joy to be on so thank you for having me thank you that all sounds amazing and i'm going to link um all of Allie's socials in the show notes too so you can easily find them and please follow her because she is such a light and she will be your best friend (laughs) that you didn't know you had (laughs) so please go follow her and um, thank you so much for this chat today and uh for teaching me and just lighting up my world too. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. Wishing you so much zest and light in whatever um, healing journey that you might be on out there. And thanks for tuning in today. And we'll see you in the next episode. <laughs> Bye.